What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hello, everybody. Yes. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ben Sternke. I'm here with Matt Tebby, mm. who's a friend of mine. I'm here. Colleague of mine. He's kind of my ministry spouse. It's kind of a joke that uh, often gets said. But there's a lot of dynamics when you co-pastor with uh, somebody that you also, uh, you know, like we're both founders, along with Ben Hardman, you know, of Gravity Leadership. So we work a lot together. <laughs> And there are kind of like weird spousal dynamics that uh, that do show up. So. This is actually one of the things we need to write on and uh, create a training for is a lot of people come to us and ask us about co-pastoring. Actually, our bishop told it's me true. last year, I didn't think this would work. I thought you guys would, this would blow up, but you're somehow making this work. <laughs> All the research suggests this shouldn't work, but it's working. Yes, yes. And I realize that like, well, <laughs> you know, we've said that we haven't made mistakes. We made tons of mistakes, but there's actually some... Right. There's probably some things we could mine out, Ben. There is there is a relational uh, architecture. There's a way that we do things, I think, that makes it uh, possible and makes it good. I think it helps us both flourish as people, and it helps our church. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's what we do together. And we did this interview together. <laughs> we did. We did this interview <laughs> that you're about to hear. We did it together with uh, Justin uh, Gibney, who is one of the authors of Compassion and Conviction, Yes. The And Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement, which is something that is sorely needed right now, Matt. Mm. We need this. We need, uh, we need to know how to do this because, man, it's hard to be a Christian in America right now. It's not, it doesn't feel as straightforward and obvious as it used to feel. 
Nope. Um, which there's some grace in that for us, right? Because it's, um, I think it's revealing, <laughs> you know, when it used to feel straightforward and obvious, uh, that was maybe a problem that we didn't realize we had. Maybe we were um, deluded, yeah. Right, yeah. So there's some grace in us for it, but uh, grace in this for us, but um, but it's uh, we need voices like uh, Justin's to help us navigate what it looks like to be faithful to our Christian convictions uh, and also filled with compassion. Yes. Um uh, towards others. So anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. looking forward to that interview. Also, just one announcement for you before we get into it. Uh, wanted to invite you again, cordially, cordially invite you to the Church in the Wild workshop. This is an online workshop we're doing November 13th and 14th in partnership with uh, the Katie hmm. Vineyard, Katie, Texas. Um, Church in the Wild, Matt. Yeah, what is so it? you know, what, you, uh, what I, what I want to tell you about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> is that it's a workshop about um, being the body of Christ when we're not in charge anymore. It's sort of like this shift into post-Christendom that's happened mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of, what, all of what that's revealed has been um, deeply troubling uh, for some people because the way that we used to do Christian witness sort of doesn't work anymore. It doesn't um, really... You know, people aren't looking to Christians and pastors and saying like, what should we do? No. What do you think? Nope. Um, you know, or what does the Bible say about this? Like nobody, that's not, you know, and a lot of our um, training in Christian witness has to do with that. It's like, well, here's what the Bible says, but nobody cares what the Bible says. So how do we, um, <laughs> right? Um, uh, if you're not a Christian already, why would you care? Um, so anyway, so how do we navigate that? How do we um, engage in Christian witness? How do we be the body of Christ and demonstrate um, what it, what the kingdom of God is uh, to a culture that, it doesn't really care about that. Yes. Um, what what's the, what are the postures? What are the practices? Um, what are the paradigms? So that's another, what it's going to be about. Yeah, go ahead. Another way to say that is how to decolonize witness and mission. Yeah, yeah. When we can't trade on cultural power or mm-hmm. positional power, and in fact, cultural positional power is a detriment to us, mm-hmm. what do we do? Well, what do we do? I yeah. think that there's plenty to do. <laughs> we've yes. got yeah we've been learning some things asking some questions and so we want to we want to convene this conversation and also uh offer some training and teaching around refashioning an imagination for how to be the church when you're no longer in charge of the world yes which uh the early church managed to do that quite well so i think there's some i think there's some hope oh yeah a lot of possibility all right. Well, let's get into this interview. Um, this was a good one. Enjoy this, friends. We'll see you very soon. Yes. I hope. Peace. Justin Gibney, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Matt, thanks for having me. I'm excited about it. Yes. Justin is the co-founder of the AND Campaign, which is what we're going to chat about today a little bit. He's an attorney and a political strategist. He served as a delegate for the Democratic National Convention and as the co-chair of, for, of Obama's For America's Gen 44 Atlanta Initiative, and he lives in ATL. Justin, what else do we need to know about you? <laughs> Uh, the husband of one wife, uh, the father of three sons, Cooper, who is six, Chase, who is four, and Crew, who is one. Um, and just really have a passion uh, 
for the intersection between faith and politics and have really dedicated um, my life to that ministry. Hmm. Yeah, dude, six, four, and one. You're in it, man. Yeah, it's happening. That's all the way in. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's full. That's full throttle, Dad. Um, right there. Well, Justin, we are in a series here on the Gravity Leadership Podcast, talking about the complexities and potentials, even of being a Christian in America. Taking a look at it, because for um, maybe the first time in forever, a lot of white Christians are feeling the the tension of maybe the story that they grew up with or the story they're told about what it means to be a Christian in America and then maybe what their conscience or what other Christians around them are saying, uh, what that means to be a Christian. So there's just, you know, I don't have to tell you, there's all kinds of polarities and divisions. And one of those arenas where that shows up the most is in the realm of politics. So, mm-hmm. um, and you've written this book, Compassion and Conviction, which is part of the AND campaign, and we're going to get to that in a second, but I, I'd love to hear maybe some of your story about how you came to care about Jesus and politics, and how that, how you uniquely find that as a part of your calling. Yeah, uh, well, I came to appreciate Jesus very early on. I was raised in the church. My mom is a PK, uh, my grandfather uh, was a bishop in the um, Church of the Living God. Um, and so very early on, you know, was taught about the character of God and the importance and all that. And um, uh, just thankful for kind of being raised with that foundation. Uh, so mm-hmm. greatly appreciate that. As time went on, you know, I went to um, college, went to law school. Uh, once I graduated from law school, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, was working at a law firm. And I used to just have a group of friends who were always, you know, we'd always come together and we talk about politics. You know, we just if we weren't talking about football, we were talking about <laughs> politics. And one day I said, well, I mean, there's no reason we should be so academic about it. Right. Uh, we're of age to actually really get involved. Uh, and so let's let's do something. And so we ended up there was a mayoral race here in Atlanta that was about to start. And I think it was like in a year. So we did our research. Uh, found a candidate that we thought was the best candidate and really literally just went up to the campaign office and said, hey, we'd like mm. to work for you. Uh, we'd like mm. to help out. That that was a state senator named uh, Kasim Reed, ended up being the mayor of Atlanta. Hmm. And that's how I got into politics, just through that campaign, doing everything from knocking on doors to debate prep um, and seeing it all the way through, I think was a, a huge uh, opportunity for me just to understand politics. After that, started doing some campaign management, uh, campaign strategy stuff, got to know the city, got to know the people, and just in a real grassroots way, got to the understanding that, you know, there's a difference between kind of intellect that you get from school and maybe your you know, poli-sci class and actual actual uh, political smarts. And mm-hmm. that's something that you have to kind of learn on the ground. Um, and so that's how I got engaged. But I started to notice once I was kind of running campaigns or talking to friends who wanted to run, that there was this assumption in the progressive space that you had to let go of your convictions, that if I want to run, I can't really talk about the abortion stuff. I can't really talk about some of that other stuff. Hmm. And I was just really uncomfortable with that because in my community, there are a lot of people who are, you know, uh, culturally conservative. And so why should they be silenced? So that was one part of it. But then I had friends who I'd run other campaigns with who were Republicans during kind of more of the Tea Party time. And they were just like, man, I, I feel like I can't really be as compassionate as I want to be. Um, Hmm. And so I I began to see this false dichotomy in politics where if you cared about justice issues, you were going to go to the left and kind of uh, 
surrender some of your convictions. If you cared about morality issues, you were going to go to the right and surrender your compassion. And I just thought that was mm. a false dichotomy. I thought that mm. was not the way that it should work, because when you look at the gospel, you look at how Jesus interacted with people. It was love and truth. It was compassion and conviction. And you can see throughout the Bible this uh, emphasis on justice and moral order. And so mm. I, I began to see that those things should come together. And over a long period of time, that's kind of how the Ant campaign forms. When I meet uh, Amisha Baraka, who's the who's a uh, a hip hop artist, mm-hmm. um, Angel Maldonado. Those are two other uh, co-founders, and we we created the ant campaign from there. Hmm. Dude, uh, you you talk about this like fool's choice, yeah. right? That 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 I have to buy. I have to bifurcate my Christian witness into and and sell some of the birthright to be on the left, and I have to sell some of the birthright to be on the right. How do we get mm-hmm. to that place? Why are we in a place now where um, it feels like we have to compromise some of our um, Christian heritage in order to participate in national politics? Hmm. Yeah, I don't think we've I don't think we've applied our theology kind of anew to the political space as we should have. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that I think we've allowed we've conflated ideology with Ooh. theology. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of folks don't understand that conservative ideology and conservative theology are not always the same thing. Come right? on, man. That, yeah. you know, you know, somebody who's progressive, you know, the progressive understanding, the secular progressive understanding of justice is not necessarily the biblical understanding of justice. Mm-hmm. And so what we try to do with our book, Compassion and Conviction, is apply those biblical principles anew to what's going on today. And I think that's really what Christians need, because a lot of Christians are striving to do better. They just need a framework, and we really just wanted to provide a gospel-centered framework for uh, people to engage. Hmm. Yeah. Ben, yeah. are you interested in that? Uh, I am. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's right. I think that's right, that we, have, we haven't applied. There hasn't been enough careful thinking about— I think we've just sort of taken the pandering of, of these politicians on both sides— that have said, hey, here's what here's what's most important, and then you know, based on you know what we feel is most important, we feel like we have to choose between compassion and conviction, and that's we just sort of we we end up compromising, right? Our Christian witness. Uh, I keep thinking too of um, you know the the Aaron Burr character from from Hamilton. Um, his his recommendation, you know, to the young Alexander Hamilton is smile more, talk less, don't let him know what you're against. I'm not, I'm butchering the line here, but like, don't let them know what you're against and what you're for. You know, it almost feels like that's what you're saying. Like the message was for you as you got into politics was like, Hey, don't bring that part of your Christian witness in here. Like, mm. you know, you, you need to fit into this system. That's yeah. how you're going to get ahead. That's how you're going to make things happen. Um, don't, you know, don't be a weird, <laughs> don't be an odd duck in the system who yeah. cares about compassion and conviction. That's exactly right. And I think, to add to your point, we began to to allow our identity to be part of our our you know our political affiliation. Our identity was in yes. our political affiliation, yes. right? And so, yes. our, our you know our political affiliation almost became religious in nature. You know, I, I tell yes. people like if somebody can't critique yes. or even criticize your party or your ideological tribe without you getting upset, then you've been indoctrinated. And that means that it's part of mm. your identity. They should be able to say, hey, Republicans need to improve this or they do this terribly or, or Democrats yeah. need to do this or they yeah. do something else really bad. 
And that shouldn't that shouldn't feel like an attack on you. Right. Because you <laughs> you have to be able to separate yourself from whatever party you're in, because I think your party yeah. should be more of a tool than something that you just, you know, identifying with and defending at all costs. That's not yeah. that's not how it should be. Yeah, that that, that goes yeah. back to the your comment about ideology over mm-hmm. theology. Mm-hmm. So that's what ideology does is it it claims us and owns us and names us and it captures our our own self-understanding so that if somebody critiques uh maybe the the progressive platform, we take it personally because they're mm-hmm. critiquing us, right? That's what you're yeah. describing. Yeah. Um so here's here's what I notice. Um here's what I notice, Justin. I, I Christians kind of fall into white Christians. I know fall into three camps. One is they're they're basically wearing red hats and showing up to MAGA rallies, and it's clear cut to them that to be a Christian means to be a Republican. There's a second group of white Christians I know that find themselves caught in this no win double bind. I've I've got to hold my nose and vote basically for Donald Trump because of two issues, right? Of abortion and uh, marriage and family and sexuality issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third group of white Christians uh, that I interface with are like done with the whole thing. And they just want to, they don't want to vote at all. They they want to escape and evade and avoid uh, the, the entire political machinations, the whole process, because they think it's bankrupt. Uh, mm-hmm. But what you guys are contending for and I, I think this is where our heart is here at Gravity, is uh, maybe maybe there's a, a fourth way. <laughs> and maybe there's a fourth uh, group of white Christians that are just full on like on the Joe Biden train. I just don't get to talk to them very much. Um, but like what, how would you exhort us, if you would? What, mm-hmm. how, do you, how, do, how do the Republicans need to get saved? And how do the Democrats need to get saved in this election? Yeah, and our framework, again, and we talk about this a whole lot in the book, you know, we, we, we talk about it, uh, we frame it as love and truth. If you go to Ephesians 4, you see Paul talking to the church of Ephesus mm-hmm. about unity within the church. But he, he also goes on to talk about maturity. And he says that, you know, regardless of whatever is going on, you should be able to speak the truth in love. It doesn't matter what yeah. uh, false teachings are there. If you know who you are as a mature Christian, you should be able to speak the truth in love. And that's really what 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 captured us by uh, by uh, that scripture, um, and really where the AND campaign's idea of uh, a Christian framework for politics comes from, and so I think we always need to pull our ideology and our positions through biblical scrutiny. So as somebody who's spent a lot of time in the progressive space, um, I think progressives really need to think a, a, a lot harder about what it means to maintain truth, right? So on the left, you have this postmodern movement where everybody has their own truth and you can kind of shape society by what your desires are and what you would like reality to be. But for I think for Christians, we have to maintain our convictions. And so I, I think for progressives, we have to say, if we, if we lean to the left, I should say, we have to say, look, the sanctity of life is something that doesn't change. You can come up with great rhetoric for it. You can create these awesome narratives that sound perfect. But the sanctity of life is the sanctity of life. And when it comes to truth, we cannot we don't need God doesn't need us to evolve his truth. Right. He, he doesn't sure. need us to to come through and um, uh, make his truth better. The only thing we can do is deface the truth. It's like a 
a Picasso. You can't improve a Picasso. You can only deface a Picasso regardless of what you do to it. <laughs> yeah. And that's how the truth is. And people mm-hmm. need to understand being progressive in every situation is not the answer because there yeah. are some things that God already said is good. And yeah, so far, so- I think for Christians who are on the left, when it comes to the sanctity of life, when it comes to what God says about family, what God says about sexuality, the truth is the truth. And you, we have to find ways to articulate it better, but we cannot evolve that truth. We only make it worse. So that's what I would say to people on the left. You yeah, have but, to stand up for those things. Yeah. So before you get to the right, because yeah. I want to hear how they need to get saved too, can I just ask you personally, so as you've taken those stands, as you've held to your convictions, as you've described that to people, you know, one of the criticisms of the left, um, I think it probably fits for both sides, but one of the criticisms of the left is the cancel culture that exists there, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't get involved, if you don't get on board with um, everybody gets to define their own sort of morality or whatever, and you draw any lines whatsoever, you just get marginalized, Mm -hmm. right? So the only sin is to say, that's a sin. (laughs) That's right. In a way. How have you experienced that? How do you navigate that? Yeah, I've experienced it quite a bit. I mean, I just had to come to the point where my Christian witness was more important than being part of a tribe. I had to come to a point where I wasn't seeking the validation, even of some of the people that I worked for. Right. So, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm I'm working in the mayor's office. I'm, you know, have access to, you know, the top folks in the party in uh, in the state and some in the nation. And I just had to come to a point where I didn't care what they, you know, what they thought. So one of the things that happened to me was in 2016, I ran again to be a delegate at the Democratic National Convention in John Lewis's district. Um, may he rest in peace. And I ran as a Christian first. I didn't even say the name of any candidate. Uh, I was kind of a protest delegate uh, mm-hmm. because I wanted to prove that you could have real Christian values and win in a progressive space because there's so many folks in that space that actually are you know, yes. more conservative when it comes to cultural issues. And so I talked about the abortion issue. I talked about gender identity all in a very loving way, but to say that those things don't change for Christians and we still deserve a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Well, the crowd goes wild. I win almost, you know, my slate won by almost double the votes of anybody else. Um, and it was huge. But the interesting thing was even though we got the votes of the people, right, even though all the folks that were there, hundreds of people who were voting on who they wanted to represent them at the Democratic National Convention, There were certain groups that wanted to kick me off of the the delegation. And so they went to the Democratic Party of Georgia and said, hey, he's he was uh, I think they said I was being transphobic. And I think they said I was being uh, sexist and that I needed to be kicked Mm. off. Mm. Uh, And and again, I said everything that I said was with love. I don't know that there was anybody there that was offended because of how I I said what I had to say. Uh, So they wanted me kicked off. But I had I had kind of anticipated that would be the case. Right. I kind of know how these folks work. And so I recorded everything. And so what they were saying, I said, is not what I said. Uh, And so we showed the party the recording. But I also had pastors that were ready to call up to the party and let them know that it was going to be a problem if they tried to kick me off. So they they decided that it probably wasn't in their best interest to start an issue with that. And and I I moved through. So I think for Christians, you know, one of some of the things that we have to do to kind of fight the cancel culture is, number one, to be courageous. Right. To say, hey, I don't. I'm not overly concerned about being validated by these people because these people are not my tribe. My tribe is the church. So I think we have to be courageous. That's part of the Christian life. And we have to be organized. We have to cover each other because there'll come a time when your party or your ideological tribe, once you uh, uh, go astray, so to speak, from them, they're not going to want they're going to want to come after you. And that's where the church needs to be there to cover one another. And so that's kind of been the strategy of the AND campaign. 
This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. I'm just struck by, um, I wonder if the black, the historical black church has a stronger culture and solidarity as the church, as a thick culture that's distinct from America, that the white church in general lacks. Um, I, I just, I, I find oftentimes that the the, the line between, you, you mentioned having courage that, you know, your church will have your back because you're not a part of this other tribe, you're a part of like Christ's people. Mm-hmm. I, I just find for a lot of people who were raised in white evangelicalism, the culture isn't thick enough for that. Um, it's it's blurred or it's it's smeared into America so much that it's hard to delineate where like American Matt ends and Christian Matt begins. I don't know if you've run into that at all, but yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, <clears throat> you know, historically, if you put it in historical context, we've almost had to, right? We've had to do yeah. something outside of what America was because of what we were experiencing in America, and it was yeah. it was our faith that allowed us to make it through what America was placing on us, right? So, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're not going to accept exactly what's being, you know, what's holding you down. We saw Christianity through the Exodus narrative yeah. as, as something, you know, as something that got us through, you know, the oppression that we were going through. And so, yeah, it, it is, you know, and that's not to say that uh, the black church doesn't have its issues, but I think it's, it's certainly a very different culture than American culture within itself because it had to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So then maybe uh the uh, how do we call the right to accept the gospel? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like what does yeah, it look like in the end campaign? How does the, how does the right need to change and repent in order to to hold love and truth together? I think we really have to deal number 1 with the history of what's gone gone on. Uh mm. we have to look at the Bible and we have to be very clear that God has an expectation that we will do justice. And I actually mm. wrote an article in um Christianity Today that came out today on that very issue. If you cannot go through Amos, you cannot go through Isaiah, you cannot go through Micah, you cannot go through Luke and not have an understanding that God cares for the poor, God cares about justice. And I think conservatives have to get out of this this idea of what I've been calling kind of the politics of Christian self-interest. I think it's not bad to look after your own self-interest, but should that be our priority? You know, when we meet our maker, is he going to say, well done because you you did your best to protect yourself because you <laughs> right. right because you had ironclad, you know, uh, things to make sure that you got your way. Is he going to say, God bless you, because you, you, you know, you were going out of your way to protect others and make sure that people that didn't look like you um, and were on the kind of, um, you know, the side of society that people don't really want to want to go near. Mm-hmm. Were you working for them? And so I think yeah. there needs to be an emphasis on the compassion that comes with Christianity. And 
Yeah. I think a lot of conservatives do good job with charity and charity is good, but justice is even harder than charity. Yeah. Come because on. I think what, what happens with justice is justice forces you to have a conflict with self-interest. Mm-hmm. And until a lot of majority Christians are willing to have a conflict with self-interest, yeah. because charity doesn't make you have a conflict with self-interest, justice does. Charity doesn't, you know, when you give charity, you can say, I'm just going to give this much and I'm going to still be okay after I get yeah. this much. Yeah. You can't give justice unless you give all of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think there has to be an emphasis on justice, on saying, you know what, I can't, the status quo, if that's not working for my brother, it's not working for me. Yeah. And the Bible yeah. over and over again calls us to do that. I mean, you go to first, you, you go to first John three, where, where, you know, he really mm-hmm. fleshes out what love means and how it's attached to actions and deeds yeah. and not just words by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. We begin to see that, that we need to show it through our politics and our other actions that we love our neighbors yeah. and, and it's self-sacrificial. Mm-hmm. And I, that's the hard part. Are, what are you willing to sacrifice and what are you mm-hmm. protecting when you say we don't need to be doing justice? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of um, Ibram Kendi talks a bit about this, where he he points out that the, the the evolution of racist ideas didn't necessarily come from people who personally held like uh, like pe- bad feelings for black people, for example, right? Like they didn't personally hate black people. It was just that they chose in their self interest in such a way that it evolved into, oh, I guess for me to choose in my self-interest means I need to mar- I need to now marginalize an entire people group mm-hmm. in order to keep sort of keeping what's mine and choosing in my self-interest. And so I was always struck by that, how, how much of a, uh, you know, you're talking about calling people who lean right maybe to believe the gospel. And I, I was just struck by how much of a gospel idea that is, that, you know, Jesus says, like, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. And how like counterintuitive that feels to us, but how core it is to actually experience the life that Jesus is promising to us, it does require this risk of going, oh, maybe I will experience the life of God together with my brothers and sisters if I do allow myself to, you know, die in a sense. If I lose my self-interest, you know, maybe there's something better on the other side of this. Um, And it just strikes me that so so many Christians have never actually taken that risk. They've never taken that leap of saying, maybe this would be better for me and for everybody if I did sacrifice, if I did allow myself to lose some self-interest for the sake of all, all of our flourishing, yeah. for the sake of justice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, w- I would just add, if, if I could, Please. You know, when we go into conversations about race, I think one of the problems is we go with this uh, posture of self-defense. We go into the conversation trying to make sure that we come out faultless yeah and the thing is nobody believes that anybody in that conversation is completely faultless and nobody went into a conversation with jesus and came out with the perfect narrative we have to be willing to go into these conversations and admit that we could have done something wrong instead of being so prideful uh that that we just want to make sure that we look good in the conversation christians can't do that i think we need to i think we need to make sure that we have a a spirit of self-examination rather than that that self-defensive posture and yes. I think that'll make those conversations a lot more fruitful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Totally, man. You know, I'm reminded, uh, we've said this before on the podcast, uh, and I learned this uh, initially from Aubrey Hendricks Jr. in his book, The Politics of Jesus. But he, he talks about one of one of the misconstruals of morality that the right has is that when it speaks of moral conservatism, it isn't conservative enough. 
meaning uh, Judas described mm. all the prophets and and how God and how God demands justice for the poor. Mm. And so Aubrey in his book says we need to be even more conservative morally. We need to conserve the prophetic witness to mm. God's. Uh, standing on the side of the poor, delivering people out of slavery, right, and advocating for mm. justice hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times over hundreds of years. And so uh, one of the sicknesses, I think, that infests the tradition I come from is that somehow caring for the poor uh, became a personal private thing mm-hmm. and got divorced from what it meant to be a good society that the society decided it would take care of the poor together. Somehow that's a secular thing, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, I think uh, that's a, that's a real blind spot to like, I think yes. white American evangelicalism. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, this is a point that I, I especially make to folks who were either in the evangelical circles or whatever. And it moved them because they saw them not doing justice. They moved too far to the left. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I say is, where the church went wrong on justice was not because they were orthodox, was not because they were following the Bible too closely. It was because, to your point, Matt, that they weren't following the Bible closely enough. Right. So the answer is not to say, let me put this Bible away because look what those people are doing. The answer is to say, let me follow the Bible more closely. Let me understand that orthodoxy, which is right doctrine, has mm-hmm. to come with orthopraxy, right, which is right mm-hmm. conduct. And yeah. because the church at one point didn't have the orthopraxy, they, tr- they didn't truly have the orthodoxy. And so it wasn't because they were too biblical or because they were too stuck on the Bible or taking it too mm-hmm. seriously. They weren't taking things in the Bible like, um, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. They weren't taking it seriously enough. They weren't taking Amos's words when he comes and says, no, it's not just about right now your sexual immorality. It's about how you treat the poor, that God mm-hmm. may destroy you because of how you're treating the poor, how you are showing partiality in your courts. This is this is what he's yes. upset about. Yeah. Yes. The, you know, our ability to divorce that from our lives today is unfortunate and it's just not biblical. It's just not orth- orthodox because it doesn't have the orthopraxy. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yep. It's a big problem and it's one of the reasons why I think this book and and campaign is so needed. I mean, I don't know if we've ever been in a in a moment that's more divided and polarized at least among the people that I talk to than than right now. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you the question that I get asked all the time, Justin. I feel like it's a trap question, and I can't answer it, so I'm going to trap you in it and see Aha. if you can help me, right? So I talk to people about this all the time, and they say, yeah, 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 yeah. But at the end of the day, who are you going to vote for? Mm-hmm. How does any of this change the lever I pull on November 7th, I think? Uh, third. I got it. Third? November yeah. 3rd. How, how does this change who I vote for president for on November 3rd? Um, how would you answer that question? Is there anything deficient or what you would change about that question? Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that the Ann campaign says that Christians have to do is reframe the question sometimes. Yep. Because uh, if you if you're if a question is framed wrong, then sometimes as an attorney, I know that sometimes I can ask you a question where there are two wrong answers that there's really yeah. not a right answer. <laughs> and so I think there's a huge problem with people putting their whole public witness on one vote. That vote is important. But that vote is not everything. That vote on in November, November 3rd, is the end of a long process and the beginning of another long process. Yeah. Yeah. So your faithfulness in the public square is not based on one vote, right? Yeah. There's so many other things you can do. You can be focused on local politics and all the things that you can directly, even more directly do for your neighbor in local politics. That one vote can be tough, 
But I'll tell you this, whoever you vote for, there's going to be a part of who they are in their platform that misses what it means to be Christian, that falls short of what Christians should be doing. So keep that in mind. And so what that means is even if you do vote for the person who wins, regardless of who that may be, that means you need to be the loudest person when it comes to holding that person accountable on the things that they get wrong when it comes to the Christian witness. That means that you cannot under no circumstances can Christians continue to vote for somebody and leave them to their own devices just because we're so happy that that our person won. No, the person you voted for might have won, but you got to make sure that they do what they're supposed to do and make sure that they don't go too far on the things that you know that they were planning to do that weren't necessarily right. I wrote a whole article in this again in Christianity Today about maybe four years ago now saying that I felt urban Christians let Obama down because we were just so happy that he was there that we didn't push him to do the things that we should have pushed him to do. He may not have gone so far left on a lot of issues if we weren't just so set on defending him, but also making sure that we held him accountable. And so that's how we have to think about this. You know, that vote is one vote. It's an important vote. And you need to look, you know, you need to look at your values and what you stand for and your principles when you make that vote. But it's not the end of the conversation. It's not the only part of the conversation. And when we we make that the one thing that represents our whole public witness, I think we make a major mistake. Hmm. That that's huge. That, I think that's so. That's a great way to answer the question. I, I've been asked that question. And I'm I'm taking notes, mental notes. I'm thinking that's that's how I'm going to answer it <laughs> yeah. here from now on. And I I hear. I mean, hearkening back to you know talking about the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. That's the same role. It feels to me like you're advocating for Christians to play the same kind of role, right? So these were you know these were prophets who were Israelites calling Israel to task, calling Israel's kings to task, calling Israel's people to task. Um, and it was usually around these issues of you're oppressing the poor. Um, you know, God is looking out for these people and you're not. Um, and so um, I, th- I think that's such a shift from defend at all costs. You know, that, that, that gets us back into that ideological identity trap, right? right? Where it's like, this is my whole deal is this person got elected, my team won. And so now I'm going to defend at all costs. So it's like, no, actually to be a Christian means it's to hold accountable, you know, to speak truth to power um, at all costs. And that's why these, you know, these unqualified endorsements of one party or one candidate, I'm just like, as a Christian, how do you give an unqualified endorsement to a whole Mm -hmm. party, Mm -hmm. right? To, to, to somebody who's in the highest position, you're just going to say, Hey, we have to get behind this person. Now, this is the person I think is best. And we're going to have to hold them accountable on this, this, and this, because we disagree with them on that. That's how you do politics responsibly as a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love too. I just want to highlight. I love your emphasis on local politics as well, because they're not they're not as sexy. You don't see as many ads for them. You know, I mean, m- most of the time, I you know, I confess, I I'm not as involved as I want to be. You know, most of the time, I'm, who are these people? Like, what do they stand for? But I, uh, you know, speaking of accountability, like I'm not. You know, it doesn't matter who gets elected president. They're not gonna listen to me. You know what I mean? Like just some random voter. Like I don't I don't have their ear, but. I could go to school board meetings, you know, I can, I can go to local city council meetings. Like I can go there and have my voice heard. Like I can get involved in those ways. Um, and oftentimes that affects the people that I actually live with a lot more than does who, whoever's occupying the white house. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if a group of 20 Christians made sure that five to 10 of them were at every city council meeting because they wanted police reform, they most likely would get police reform, especially if they organized and brought churches into that conversation. And do you know how much that would affect your neighbors and the, and the people that are near you? 
We've oh, got to yeah. realize it's not just about that one vote. We make way too much of that vote. It's important, but it's not everything. And there's so much that goes on before and after that that we yeah. need to be a part of to be responsible. And, and, that, and that goes to say that we need to do it as a group, too, right? People have jobs. Not everybody's going to be a politico. But if we yeah. do it within institutions and together yeah. as a body, we can really make some change. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's an organization in our town called Faith in Indiana. It brings together Christians, Jews, uh, Muslims, and other people of faith to, to advocate and work for things from the Judeo-Christian sort of tradition uh, in our political, in our county. One of the things they're advocating for is um, like 60% of the people incarcerated in our county have some mental health issue. And one of the things they're advocating for is funding for mental health professionals to ride with police officers mm. so that police officers don't have to deal with schizophrenia uh, because they're not trained to. Um, right. And the, so the, the goal is to decriminalize mental health problems. And I, I, I really care about this, right? Like <laughs> our criminal justice system is jacked up and there's way too many people in prison, uh, in my opinion. But, uh, but it's, it's so hard to care about everything all the mm. time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and to sustain attention and focus and energy. And I read an article yesterday about how Denver is piloting this program where they're sending uh, mental health professionals and in an ambulance to 911 calls. Hmm. And they've had 350. They've dispatched 350 mental health professionals to 911 calls and they haven't yet to need to send police back up. Wow. <laughs> like, uh, how can, like, I don't know, is there a Christian that has a problem with that? Like, can't we get, so I, what, I'm, what I'm hearing you say, like, I don't want to give my political witness away to one day every four years. Yeah. There are hundreds or dozens of things I can do on the ground that, that Jesus cares deeply about that probably transcend even partisan politics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm I'm just taking your words today, Justin, as a personal exhortation to yeah. to not sleep, fall asleep at the wheel. Mm. No, that's good. I mean, that's it. Uh, Christians have to understand that our witness transcends progressivism, uh, conservatism. We have so much more to say and so much more to do than that one vote could ever say about us. Yes. And so we need to make sure that's clear and, and do it together. Because as you pointed out, not everybody has a whole lot of time, but there are people who have dedicated themselves to this. Support them, in yeah. you know, in any way you can, and, and we can do this. We can we can make a difference. All right. Well, awesome. I really appreciate your time yeah. today. This has been excellent. Before I let you go, though, I just got to ask. I got to sneak this in here. Part of your bio is that you played football at Vanderbilt. That's correct. Are you are you looking forward to the college football season as much as I am? Probably more so. I don't know. I don't know how much you're looking forward to it, but probably more so. Dude, I cannot wait to watch college football. I've been watching these like uh, tiny little schools play on tiny little networks for the last week or so. Yeah. And tomorrow I get a. I'm a. I'm a Notre Dame Fighting Irish fan, so tomorrow I get to watch the Fighting Irish. How is Vanderbilt going to be this year? Are they going to be any good? We we'll have to see. I'm I'm, a, I'm hopeful. We got some. I love our coach. We got some good good players coming up, and so we'll just have to see how it goes, man. But we're gonna, as always, we're gonna knock knock down a couple of giants, so you can count on that. <laughs> All right. So well, Justin, go ahead, Ben. Well, I was just gonna say this is gonna air probably uh, end of October, so this will be like a like we can we can listen in on this and see if okay. your prophecies uh, came true. So. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, All right. So uh, you've mentioned a couple times that you've written in Christianity Today. We'll put the links in the show notes to those articles. How else can people connect with you, Justin, uh, online? 
So you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at and campaign at and campaign, A-N-D campaign uh, to get a lot of we're always putting out. Uh, we have a podcast, which is a church politics podcast I do with uh, Michael Ware, uh, who's our chief strategist. We're always mm-hmm. putting out new um content on social media you can follow me at justin e gibbony justin e g i b o n e y on instagram and twitter just to get that you know get the content man we're, we're trying to help people out and again the book uh just came out in july it's called compassion and conviction if you're looking for really an accessible accessible um gospel-centered framework for politics i think this is the book for you yep hmm. i agree it's it's a it's a easy read, but it's a challenging read, which are the best reads, right? Mm. So uh, it, it you don't have to work super hard to get through it, but it'll stick with you for a long time. Justin, uh, mm. we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. Thanks so much for spending time with us today, uh, and um, take care. Thanks, man. Ben. Y'all take care too. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.